listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. Before we get to the message today, one other thing, I almost forgot it. Uh, here at Elam, our mission, kind of our mission statement, is that we rest in the gospel, we grow in Christ, and we love our community. And one of the ways that we love our community is every year, you can see here, we have a whole bunch of shoe boxes. You might be wondering, what's going on with all these shoe boxes? Those people really like their shoes or something. Well, in each of these boxes, there's uh, a bunch of gifts that gets mailed to kids all around the world. This thing is called Operation Christmas Child. And we as a church, thanks to you, we were able to collect how many? I can't remember. 82 boxes for Operation Christmas Child. And these are going to be sent all over the world. And we're just so grateful for the opportunity to be God's hands and feet in this way locally, but then also globally, because we're reminded of how much bigger than us the kingdom of God is. So thank you so much uh, to everyone who gave. And before we send these gifts off, we want to offer uh, just a special prayer for them. So would you bow your heads with me and pray? Heavenly Father, we uh, are so grateful for the chance to participate in your mission, God, your mission to love and to redeem and restore a lost creation. And we're reminded of how big your kingdom is. It's so much bigger than us, anything we could imagine. Thank you for these gifts. Thank you for the people that have donated so generously to them. God, I pray that the gifts would be used in a, in a way that doesn't just meet people's physical needs, but also opens the door to spiritual conversations and that spiritually, Father, that they would come to a saving knowledge saving faith in Jesus Christ if they don't already. So we pray for these gifts, yes, and we pray for the gospel message too, that they would go forth, God, and bear much fruit. We ask your blessing upon them today. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are still in the middle of our series on the story today. And uh, if you're just joining us, welcome. It's, uh, it's been this fun opportunity to get to see what the big overarching scripture, story of Scripture is from Genesis to Revelation. And that God is the divine author, right? We've been learning this is God's story, the, the greatest story ever told, God's story. And yet we are also discovering that we each have our own place in this story. So, so our stories intersect with, with God's story. And what is the Bible? What, what is Scripture? Well, in three key points, you maybe know this by memory now, but I encourage you to say it with me. The Bible is a story of God's great love for us, how far we have gone from that love, and how far God was willing to go to get us back. 
So again, if you're just joining us for the first time, we've been kind of following along with the people of Israel as they made their way out of Egypt. We had the Exodus, and they made their way into uh, the, the desert wanderings and eventually into the Promised Land. So Moses, and then eventually Joshua was leading them, and then, and then we entered this period of the Judges, kind of this really just like a, a low point. If you were to graph out Israel's history, Judges is kind of when they, they really bottom out. And yet, today, we're going to talk about the story of Ruth, and Ruth takes place against this really dark backdrop of the book of Judges, where it says everybody did what was right in their own eyes, right? In the book of Judges, people were, were, were doing whatever they wanted. We often think moral relativism is kind of a new phenomenon. Well, not really. <laughs> Back then, they were doing it too, running after everything, except the true God, and now we have this book of Ruth, and Ruth shines out like a beacon in this dark backdrop. Ruth tells the story of Naomi and her family, and they are Israelites. They're living in Bethlehem. There's a famine in the land, so Naomi and her husband, they move to nearby Moab. And while they're living in Moab, their sons marry Moabite women, one of whom is named Ruth. Tragedy then ensues. All of the husbands die Naomi and Ruth move back to Bethlehem where they encounter a relative named Boaz who rescues and redeems them. So Boaz is kind of this, this Christ figure. The word redeem occurs again and again throughout this book. It's very central. The book begins with tragedy, though, and it ends with a marriage. It, it begins with, with death, and then it ends with this wedding where Boaz marries Ruth, and they have this child, Obed, who ends up becoming the, the great-grandfather of King David. So through this, we see the, the promised Messiah is, his seed is being preserved through this family. So that's the Cliff Notes version of Ruth. If you haven't read it already, I encourage you to do it. This is one of the few books in the Bible you can sit down and probably in about 10, 15 minutes, you can work your way all the way through it. And it has this beautiful ending. It almost feels like a Disney story where Ruth and Boaz kind of like ride off into the sunset. So here's the, the text. This is Ruth 4, 13 through 17. Here's how it all wraps up. It says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And as I was reading through Ruth's story this week, I don't know about you, but I was struck by so many things. There's so much packed into this small book. So many rich themes. Ruth's loyalty to Naomi. God's protection of the vulnerable. She is a foreign woman after all. The way Boaz acts with such integrity. But, but what really grabbed my heart more than anything was the way that God was orchestrating all of this behind the scenes. You see, nothing was by accident. Even the things that seemed like an off chance, we know and we see that God's hand was lovingly, sovereignly guiding everything toward 
a resolution, right? So here's what I want you to, to take home today. This is your, if you're taking notes, this is the main point for this morning's message. Here it is, right off the bat. God works in low-key, behind-the-scenes, hidden ways to bring about His saving purposes. God works in low-key, behind-the-scenes, hidden ways to bring about His saving purposes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the story of Ruth. Pray that You would teach us today things that we may not even know we need to be taught. Open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts to see you, to respond joyfully to the message you have for us today. God, may we be open to being convicted. May we be open to being encouraged. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I don't really know how to say this, guys. I have some bad news for you, so I'm just, I'm just going to say it. I'm old. I'm old. It's true. I, I mean, you might, this may come as a shock to you. It, it certainly did to me. I'm old. This is the truth. Uh, I had to Google, this week I had to Google Gen Z slang, okay? No cap. Now, I don't know if you know much about this new Gen Z generation, uh, but they have a whole language. And each generation kind of like, they, they, they come up with these terms and they're, they're learning to articulate things that aren't necessarily new, but kind of in their own way with their own spin on them. So here you go. Here is your guide to Gen Z slang. If you want to come across as really cool to a young kid, like if you want to be a cool dad, say this to your, say this to your daughter. Hey, how's your riz? So cool. They will think you're so cool, right? I'm seeing lots of kids nodding their heads saying, oh, I wish my parents would ask me that all the time. So the word riz, it's short for charisma apparently. So if you have a lot of riz, you got a lot of charm. And uh, if you're a guy, you're good with the ladies and ladies, vice versa. So someone asks you, how's your riz? And you say, eh, mid. That means what it sounds like. Not great, not terrible, but uh, average or mediocre. I'm not amazing. I've got a little bit of riz. Uh, how about the word slay? Have you heard this? Man, he just slayed. Okay, well, slay, it doesn't mean that there's a body in your trunk. It means that you did a good job. Like, man, that guy is slaying up there. He's doing, he's, he's going off on that guitar. Look at Jim Sorley up there on the, you know, he's doing that. Okay, here's another good one. Give me the ick. Has anybody heard this before? Okay, Give me the ick. Now, it's just another way of saying that's gross, but it, it threw me off. So apparently something's gross, you say, give me the ick. How about this one? It's giving. Anybody heard this? It's giving. You use this phrase apparently like to compare yourself to someone or something else. So if I say, Phil, your outfit is giving Billy Graham, that means your clothing reminds me of a televangelist. It doesn't. I'm not saying, I'm just an example. You just say, it's giving. It's giving. But here's the last one. Low key. Low key means being subtle or keeping things on the down low. When someone says low key, they're understated and restrained, not like over the top or blatant. And here's why I bring this up. Here's why this matters. It's not just so you can 
understand this a little better because it was helpful for me too. But here's why this matters. I can't think of a better term than low-key to describe the way that God is working throughout the book of Ruth. You see, the book of Ruth is all about a low-key God who acts in hidden, behind-the-scenes ways to bring about His saving purposes. Now, I don't know what comes to mind for you when you hear the word God, but in all likelihood, if you're anything like me, it's something along the lines of mountaintops and fire and, and brimstone and, and miraculous things, right? Flashes of lightning th- and thunder, I'm envisioning miracles, maybe a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, plagues of locusts and the Nile turning to blood and angelic beings and waters parting and seas crashing and, and manna floating down from from on high and the walls of Jericho tumbling down with just the blast of a trumpet, right? I mean, that's what we've covered really so far in, in the Old Testament. It's kind of God's MO so far. And when I turn to the ministry of Jesus in the New Testament, that's where my mind goes too. I think of Jesus healing blind men and raising the dead, calming the sea, exercising demons, multiplying loaves and fishes, healing lepers, right? All of these big, huge, massive, exciting things, ways of operating that you can't ignore if you wanted to. Big and glaringly obvious. In the Bible, God sure seems to have a flair for the dramatic sometimes, doesn't he? Is that fair to say? Here's where my disconnect with that happens. My life is nothing like that. (laughs) Like in my day-to-day existence, I wonder if you resonate with this too, life just isn't that exciting. Like it's not always that dramatic. God doesn't guide me with a pillar of fire and a cloud. His voice doesn't echo down from mountaintops. I've never once seen Him physically part waters or bring someone back to life. That's not to say that miracles don't happen. That's just to say that that's not the norm in our period, in this time where we live. It's just not how my life looks like at all. In fact, my day-to-day existence looks pretty boring by comparison. Life can seem pretty mundane sometimes, can't it? There's no manna from heaven. There's no visible, vo- uh, visible angel of the Lord with an audible voice. There's no fire for them in the mountain. There's just the nine-to-five job, the two-week vacation, the interactions with coworkers, going to school, doing the dishes, taking out the trash, changing diapers, doing the chores, weddings, baptisms, funerals, basketball games, birthday parties and graduations, all the normal stuff in life, right? Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, again, again, again. How could God have anything to do with that kind of stuff? Sometimes I think we interpret the rhythms of everyday monotony as a sign of His absence, Just because we can't discern a cosmic plan doesn't mean God isn't there. It may just mean we're looking for Him in the wrong places. 
As Old Testament scholar Chad Bird says, to see God's gifts, we don't stare up into the clouds. We turn our eyes down to the commonplaces of creation. I thought that was a helpful reminder. The story of Ruth, it reminds us that God is at work in everyday kinds of ways, operating in low-key mode, hidden behind the scenes to bring about His good and loving purposes. You know, unlike everything else we've encountered in the Old Testament so far, in Ruth there are no dreams or visions or miracles. There's, there's nothing flashy at all. Interestingly enough, did you know that God doesn't actually speak anywhere in the book of Ruth? He's there, but He doesn't speak. His name gets mentioned, but He doesn't operate in any sort of miraculous way. It's all pretty ordinary. Instead of manna, he uses an ordinary wheat harvest to provide food. Instead of the parting of the Red Sea, he provides rescue through the kind and simple actions of a man of integrity, Boaz. And instead of a virgin birth, he provides an heir through the ordinary union of a husband and wife. One scholar summarizes it in this way. He says, it's not that God is at all absent from the book of Ruth, but that His role is a steady, quiet one. It's not that God is is absent from the book of Ruth, it's just that His role is a steady, quiet one. I don't know if you noticed this, but there are things that happen in the book of Ruth That seem like coincidences, but later on, looking back, we discover that they actually weren't. And here's one of them. Ruth and Naomi, they've just returned to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And without any husbands to provide for them, they're really in a bad spot. They're penniless, they're homeless, and destitute. Ruth is a foreigner, as I mentioned. And uh, Moab wasn't just this neutral nation living next door. Moab was like Israel's enemy in many cases. In a lot of places in the Bible, Moab is rebuked because they tend to lead Israel astray into idolatrous practices. So Ruth has a lot of strikes against her, but her and, her and Naomi, they come back to Bethlehem and they're dependent entirely on the generosity of others for their survival. In Israel, there was actually this law that farmers were supposed to leave some of the gleanings from their field for the poor and for the foreigners. So they weren't supposed to actually harvest all the way up to the edge of the field. Naomi knows about this. So she sends her daughter-in-law Ruth out to glean some of the barley. Here's what happens. This is Ruth 2, verses 1 through 3. If you have your copy of the story, it's on page 123. Ruth 2, 1 through 3. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Pause right there. As it turned out, think about that phrase for a minute. Some other translations say, as it happened. As in, you read this and you kind of think, what? Just so happened. 
coincidence, right? But that's not what's going on here. You see, this is the narrator's way of kind of winking at us, of giving us a, a literary clue that tells us, because we're privy to the whole backstory in a way that the people in the story are not, they're saying, hey, look, you know what's really going on here, right? You know this is no accident. You know this is no coincidence. None of this is chance or happenstance. It's no accident that Ruth ends up in Boaz's field. See, God guided her there. Not with a pillar of fire by night or a cloud by day or by parting the wheat sheaves, <laughs> but through simple, ordinary kinds of ways. Low-key, as the kids would say. One of the big themes in Ruth is reversal. Uh, you start out at one point, the characters start out at a certain place in the plot line, at a, and their, their condition is a certain way, and then by the end of the story, it's, it's reversed. They're at a different spot, and they kind of do a U-turn, and they're headed in a different direction. So Naomi, who starts out bitter, right, she asks people to call her Mara, which means bitter. Her bitterness is turned to joy. Naomi and Ruth, they started out empty, penniless, homeless, without any real food, and God filled them. Another interesting detail here. Do you know what the word Bethlehem actually means? Beth is home. Lechem is bread. It means house of bread. Bethlehem is the house of bread. And so they were experiencing a famine. There was no bread in the house of bread. What happens? God reverses that. He provides food. And once again, by the end of the story... There's bread in Bethlehem. And by harvest time, they're overflowing. There's also a reversal from death to life. Naomi and Ruth experienced just this terrible tragedy in Moab with their husbands dying. And in Ruth 4, what happens? Well, we get the birth of Obed, the child of Ruth and Boaz, the grandfather of King David, the line of the Messiah. So there's a reversal from death to life. There's also a reversal from, from vulnerability to security. Ruth is in a, in a really vulnerable position as a woman in particular, out there harvesting in the field as a foreigner. She could be taken advantage of in so many ways. And Boaz steps in, this Christ figure, and he provides for her. He provides security that she could not work up on her own. And then we've got hopelessness. Hopelessness has been reversed into bright prospects for the future by the end of this book. So in the midst of this godless, immoral period of the judges, Ruth just shines out this beautiful beacon of light and hope. It's literally a, a rags-to-riches story. Super inspiring and uplifting, isn't it? Kind of puts Cinderella to shame. But my guess is that some of you are, are maybe thinking, yes, I want God to do that for me too. Rags to riches. I want to ride off into the sunset with a prince. Well, maybe not like an older guy like Boaz, but like, I don't know, another kind of prince or something. I want what Ruth got. I want the blessing, the healing, the happier life circumstances, the security and hope and the future that he gave her. So why hasn't he reversed my fortunes like that? Sound familiar? I identify with that. I think most of us probably.
Well, what I would say, my prayer for you is that if you are going through a season of suffering, I do pray and ask that God would reverse your circumstances. I pray that He will change things and make them better. But let me suggest to you that you seriously consider this. Maybe God is more concerned with your heart than your circumstances. Maybe God is more concerned with your heart than your fortunes. Maybe it's your heart He's working to reverse, to root out the idols, to penetrate all the cracks and crevices that you and I try to hide from Him, the parts of our life that we cling to and shield from Him. Because as Chad Bird once again reminds us, he says, God strolls defiantly past the no trespassing signs we nail up to control where he goes and what he does. And yet when God comes to trespass, he doesn't do so to harm or to steal, but to remind you that he loves you, that he gave his one and only son to rescue you, so that anyone who believes should not perish but have eternal life. See, just like Boaz redeemed Ruth at great cost to himself, Jesus redeemed us, body and soul, purchasing us with His holy and precious blood. The price for your sins, past, present, future, paid in full, all because He loves you. And maybe He's using the humdrum of daily existence and the people you encounter each day to teach you about that. Maybe He is showing that, the, that love to you in simple, low-key ways, ways that are easy to ignore because, precisely because they seem so ordinary and unexciting. A bonfire with family about that for ordinary? An unexpectedly good day for a suffering relative? A good night's sleep? A ten-point buck to celebrate and enjoy with your family? Maybe it's His steady, quiet presence that you need to be reminded of, that in the midst of carrying life's crosses, you have a faithful guide who shoulders the load for you who invites you to lay it all down on Him because He cares for you, because His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Maybe, just maybe, you, me, like Ruth, need a low-key God. Not a God who remains on the mountaintop, but who descends down to us, down into the humdrum of daily existence, down even further, all the way to the cross and the grave. Because as John 3.16 tells us, you know this, you can say it with me by heart, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. My hope and prayer is that you would find yourself believing, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, and worshiping this God, Jesus Christ, this morning. He loves you. 
He forgives all your sins, and you receive that forgiveness by faith because He died to make a way for you to have peace with God. He invites you to respond to Him. Truly, He is our guardian redeemer. May we leave here today knowing we have found refuge under His wings. Let's pray. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's Pastor K-J-O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.